After reciting the Shahud, Ta'uz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the fifth Ayyadul Atalabnislaziz stated. In the previous sermon, I narrated incidents about Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama, but a few accounts were still remaining, and God willing, I shall narrate them today. With regards to the killing of Qab bin Ashraf, it was stated that the strategy used by Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama to lure him out of his house and killed him in a secure location did not amount to lying. It was also stated that according to one hadith and certain scholars, one is permitted to tell a lie in three situations. However, the truth of the matter is that this concept that one is permitted to lie or utter a false statement on three occasions is a completely false notion, or it is based on a wrong interpretation of the hadith. Nevertheless, I clarified its meaning according to what had been stated in Sirat Khatam al-Nabiyyin. However, the Promised Messiah has also made this point evidently clear in his book Nur al-Quran while writing in response to an allegation raised by a Christian. I will now present some parts of that reply which clarifies beyond doubt that Islam categorically forbids lying. While replying to a Christian's allegation, the Promised Messiah states, One objection raised is that the Holy Prophet had given permission to lie on three occasions and that the Holy Quran gave clear instructions that one can conceal their faith. 
However, the Gospels have never permitted one to conceal their faith. This was the objection. The Promised Messiah replied by saying, It should be made clear that the manner in which the Holy Quran had laid emphasis on truthfulness and its significance, I can say that the Gospel does not even mention one hundredth thereof. The Promised Messiah then writes, The Holy Quran considers uttering falsehood akin to idolatry. As God Almighty says, i.e. shun therefore the abomination of idols and shun all words of untruth. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu kunu qawwamina bilqist shuhada alillahi walaw ala anfusikum awil walidayni wal aqrabin Meaning, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witnesses for Allah, even though it be against yourselves or against parents and kindred. Whilst addressing the person who raised this allegation, the Promised Messiah further states, O ye who has no fear of God, Open the Gospels and show me where the Gospels urge one to speak the truth with such vigour. Then addressing that Christian whose name was Fateh Masih, the Promised Messiah writes, You have written that the Holy Prophet Muhammad had permitted to utter falsehood on three occasions. However, you are mistaken on account of your ignorance and in actuality there is no hadith which permits one to lie. In fact, the words of the hadith are وَإِنْ قُتِلْتَ أَوْ أُحْرِقْتَ i.e. do not deviate from the truth even if you are murdered or you are set on fire for it. The Holy Quran directs that one should never abandon justice and one should always speak the truth even if one loses their life because of it. And in the Hadith we find that one is enjoined to speak the truth even if one is killed or set alight due to it. Then supposing there is a Hadith which contradicts the Holy Quran and the authentic Ahadith, it will not be deemed worthy of acceptance because we take only those Ahadith to be accurate which are not contrary to the authentic Ahadith and the Holy Quran. The Promised Messiah Islam states, Indeed, in some ahadith, an indication towards the permission of Tawriya can be found, that is, under certain circumstances, using words or phrases that can have multiple meanings. Furthermore, in order to discourage people, this practice has been described with the word kizb. In order to instill hate, the opponents have intentionally used the word kizb for this practice. The Promised Messiah Islam further states, when an ignorant and foolish person comes across such a word in a hadith which has merely been used in order to convey the meaning in a simplified manner, he may take the term gizb in its literal sense. 
That is because he is unaware of the unequivocal commandment in Islam that falsehood is considered to be an impurity, unlawful and akin to shirk, i.e. associating partners with God. According to some ahadith, Tawriya, which is not gizb in its literal sense, although it can be deemed so, is permissible under pressing circumstances. However, despite this, it is stated that to abstain from the use of Tawriya is of a greater moral excellence. In Islamic terminology, Tawriya refers to a statement made in the form of parables and allegories in order to hide a matter or secret due to fear or due to some other reason, which will though be understood by a wise person, but an ignorant one would be oblivious to the underlying intention of the one uttering this phrase, and his attention would be diverted elsewhere. Upon reflection, the individual would realize that in actuality there was no utterance of falsehood whatsoever by the speaker, and was the absolute truth, nor was his heart inclined towards falsehood in any way. The Promised Messiah on further states, In some ahadith, permission for Tawdiya can be found when adopting to bring about reconciliation between two Muslims, safeguarding one's wife from any discord or domestic dispute, and keeping one's affairs hidden from the enemy during war, and diverting the enemy towards another direction. However, despite this, there are many other ahadith from which it becomes evident that Tawriya stands in contrast to a high standard of righteousness and that clear truth is better, even if one is to be slain or burnt as a result of this. The Promise of Islam further states, The Holy Prophet has instructed to refrain from this to the greatest extent of one's capacity, so that even the essence of a statement does not resemble falsehood. The Promised Messiah Islam then states, When I look at the Holy Prophet during the Battle of Uhud, when he was alone in front of unsheathed swords, he was uttering the words, I am Muhammad, I am the Prophet of Allah, I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. Here I would like to clarify that when this book was published, it was written in a footnote of this very book that this part was a misprint and that this incident took place during the Battle of Hunain and not during the Battle of Uhud. However, now our research cell has extracted and sent me a reference from Sirat al-Halabiyya in which it states that the Holy Prophet ﷺ said these words during the Battle of Hunain as well as the Battle of Uhud. Therefore, the Department of Ishaat should remove this footnote in future I have often observed that at times, to finish the task swiftly and in order to extract the essence of the words of the Promised Messiah or to create ease, footnotes are added stating that there is a misprint or that this has been written mistakenly, even though a lot of research needs to be carried out and attention needs to be paid in this regard. Nevertheless, this reference has now crossed my attention and it is stated very clearly that these words were said by the Holy Prophet on both the Battle of Hunain and Battle of Uhud. In any case, this matter has now been clarified. The Promise of Zayl Islam for the states If in any hadith 
the word kizb has been used to describe tawriya in order to convey its meaning in a more simplified manner. It will be sheer ignorance for one to literally take its meaning as kizb. The Holy Quran and the authentic Ahadith have strongly declared kizb to be unlawful and an act of impurity. The most authentic Ahadith have clearly elaborated on the subject of Tawriya. Therefore, even if the word kizb has been used for Tawriya in certain Ahadith, it does not mean, God forbid, that this should be taken to mean kizb in its literal sense. In fact, the person who had narrated this perhaps had such a high level of righteousness that he considered Tawriya as a form of kizb and thus used the term to explain this for the purpose of simplicity of the message. For us, it is imperative to adhere to the Holy Quran the authentic ahadith and we can never accept a meaning which goes against these teachings. The Promised Messiah further states, The Holy Quran has sent a curse upon those who speak falsehood. Moreover, it is stated that those who speak falsehood are the companions of Satan, faithless and influenced by satanic thoughts. Not only does it state that one should not speak falsehood, but also to abandon the company of such people and not to befriend them. It instructs to instill the fear of God and keep the company of the truthful. In another place, it states that one should only speak the truth and not to speak falsehood even in a light-hearted manner. This explanation was in regards to the subject matter being discussed earlier. However, I shall now continue with the accounts from Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama's life. When the Banu Nazir attempted to deceive the Holy Prophet ﷺ and sought to kill him by throwing a millstone on him, God Almighty informed the Holy Prophet ﷺ of their plans through divine revelation. The Holy Prophet ﷺ immediately stood up as if he had to see to an important matter and arrived in Medina. Soon after the Holy Prophet ﷺ had left, the companions also arrived in Medina. Upon arriving in Medina, they found out that the Holy Prophet ﷺ had called for Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama. Hazrat Abu Bakr submitted, O Messenger of Allah ﷺ, you stood up and left. However, we were completely unaware that you had departed. The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, The Jews sought to deceive me, but Allah the Almighty informed me, and so I left. Allah the Almighty revealed following verse Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu thkuru ni'matallahi alaykum idh hamma qawmun an yabsutu ilaykum aydiyahum fakafa aydiyahum ankum wattaqullaha ala allahi falyatawakkalil mu'minun meaning O ye who believe remember Allah's favor upon you when a people intended to stretch out their hand against you, but he withheld their hands from you, and fear Allah, and on Allah should the believers rely.
In any case, the Holy Prophet sent Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama to the Jews. The account of this incident has been narrated as follows that when Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama presented himself before the Holy Prophet, the Holy Prophet stated, Go to the Jews of the Banu Nadir and tell them that you have been sent by the Messenger of Allah to order them to leave your city. Their punishment to be banished from the city was because they had committed a conspiracy and thus had violated their covenant. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama went to the Jews and said, I have been sent to you by the Holy Prophet with a message. However, I shall not share this with you until I have reminded you of something which you would often discuss in your gatherings. It was something they used to discuss amongst each other quite a long time ago. What is it? the Jews inquired. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama stated, I swear by the Torah which Allah the Almighty revealed to Moses that I once came to you before the advent of the Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa وسلم, and you were sat with the Torah open before you. During this gathering, you said to me, O Ibn Maslama, if you wish to eat something, then we shall present you with food. And if you wish to become a Jew, then we can make you a Jew. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama said, At the time I replied to present me with food, and that by God I would never become a Jew. You then presented me a tray of food and said to me, You will never become a Jew because this is the faith of the Jewish people. I.e. the Jews said to Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama that he does not want to become a Jew because this was the faith of the Jewish people. You desire the Hanifiyat which you have heard of. However, Abu Amir Rahib is not the only one whom this prophecy applies to. They had heard that a prophet would appear but Abu Amir Rahib was not an individual. The Jews then continued, A person shall come to you whose countenance will be cheerful. He will engage in battles, and there will be redness in his eyes. He will appear from the direction of Yemen, mounted on camels, clad in cloaks, and they will remain content with whatever little they have. Their swords will be resting upon their shoulders. They will speak with wisdom as if you have close relations with them. By God, your land shall now witness violence, killing and mutilation of the dead. Upon hearing this, the Jews acknowledged that this is exactly what they had said, i.e. they acknowledge everything that was recounted to them by Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama. However, they claimed that he, i.e. the Holy Prophet sallam, was not that Prophet. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama then stated, I am done with my message as I simply wanted to remind you of this. He then conveyed the message of the Holy Prophet sallam, and stated, I have been sent by the Holy Prophet وسلم, and he has stated that you have broken the treaty which he had established with them as they sought to conspire against him. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama then informed the Jews of their conspiracy against the Holy Prophet وسلم, and how Amr bin Jahash stood on the roof 
to throw the stone on the Holy Prophet Hearing this, they fell silent and could not say another word. Then Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama said to them, The Holy Prophet has ordered you to leave this town. You will be given ten days respite. After this, whosoever is seen around here will be put to death. The Jews replied, O Ibn Maslama, we could never have imagined that we would receive this message from a man of the Aus tribe. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama replied, The hearts are inclined to change. The Jews spent the next few days making their preparations and brought their mounts from Zu Jadr, which was a grazing ground situated approximately six miles from Medina in the direction of Quba. The animals would graze in Zu Jadr, and these animals were also the mounts they used for travel. Along with their own mounts, they also took camels from Banu Ashja's tribe and completed preparations for their migration. This reference is found in a book of history. Hazrat Khalid Masih II has written about the attitude and conduct of the Jews, including the treachery of the Banu Qayza. Although this has been narrated previously with regards to Hazrat Ammar bin Yasir, however, owing to its historical importance, I will narrate it here as well. Hazrat Khalid Masih II writes, but they still had the Banu Quraidha to settle with. The Banu Quraidha had dishonored their pact with the Muslims, and this could not be passed over. The Holy Prophet ﷺ collected his exhausted forces and told them that there was no rest for them yet. Before the sun went down, they must fall upon the Banu Quraidha in their fortifications. Then he sent Hazrat Ali to the Banu Quraidha to ask them why they had gone back on their solemn word. The Banu Quraiza showed no regret and no inclination to ask for forgiveness. Instead, they insulted Hat Ali and the other Muslim delegates and started hurling vile abuse at the Holy Prophet and the women of his family. They said they did not care for Muhammad and had never had any kind of pact with him. When Hazrat Ali returned to report the reply of the Jews, he found the Holy Prophet and the companions advancing towards the Jewish fortifications. The Jews had been abusing the Holy Prophet, his wives and daughters. Fearing lest this should pain the Holy Prophet Hazrat Ali suggested there was no need for the Holy Prophet to take part as the Muslims themselves could deal with the Jews and that he ought to return. The Holy Prophet ﷺ understood what Hazrat Ali was referring to and said, You want me not to hear their abuse, Ali? Exactly, replied Hazrat Ali. But why, said the Holy Prophet ﷺ, Moses was of their kith and kin, yet they inflicted more suffering on him than they have on me. The Holy Prophet ﷺ continued to advance. The Jews put up their defences and started fighting. Their women also joined them. Some Muslims were sitting at the foot of a wall. A Jewish woman, seeing this, dropped a stone on them, killing one of the Muslims. The siege went on for some days. At the end of this period, 
the Jews felt they would not be able to hold out for long. Then their chiefs sent word to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, requesting him to send Abu Lababa, an Ansari chief of the Aus, a tribe friendly to the Jews. They wanted to consult him about a possible settlement. The Holy Prophet ﷺ sent Abu Lababa to the Jews, who asked him if they should lay down their arms and accept the award of the Prophet ﷺ. Abu Lubaba said they should, but at the same time he passed a finger over his neck, making the sign of death. The Holy Prophet had said nothing on this subject to anybody. But Abu Lubaba, fearing that the crime of the Jews, i.e. breaking a covenant, merited nothing but death, unwittingly made this sign, which proved fateful for the Jews. The latter declined Abu Lubaba's advice and refused to accept the Prophet's award. Had they accepted it, the utmost punishment they would have received was expulsion from Medina. The Jews did not accept this. And had they accepted the most they would have suffered was exile. But as ill luck would have it, they refused to accept the Holy Prophet's award. Instead of the Holy Prophets, they said they would accept the award of Sa'ad and Mu'az, chief of their allies, the Aus. They would agree to any punishment proposed by him. A dispute arose among the Jews. Some of them began to say that their people had really gone back on their agreement with the Muslims. The behavior of the Muslims, on the other hand, showed that they were true and honest and that their religion was also true. Those who thought this joined Islam. Amr bin Sa'di, one of the Jewish chiefs, reproved his people and said, You have committed a breach of faith and gone back on your plighted word. The only course now open to you is either you join Islam or give jizya. They said, We will neither join Islam nor give jizya. The majority thought in this way. For dying is better than giving jizya. Amr replied that in that case he stood absolved and saying this he left the fort. He was cited by Muhammad bin Maslama, commander of a Muslim column, who asked him who he was. On learning of his identity, he told him to depart in peace and himself prayed loudly. Meaning, you may pass in peace. O oh Allah, give me the power to screen the mistakes of the decent. What he meant was that this Jew had shown remorse and regret over the conduct of his people. It was the moral duty of Muslims, therefore, to forgive men like him. In letting him go, he had done a good thing. And he prayed that God should give him the chance to do such good deeds again and again. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ got to know what Muhammad bin Maslama had done, he did not reprove him for letting go of this Jewish leader. Rather, he approved of what had been done. Thus, owing to the education and moral training of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the Muslims always administered justice. When the people of Khaybar instigated their mischief, 
a Jew by the name of Abu Rafi was killed. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama was also part of the group of companions that were dispatched to kill Abu Rafi. Although he was killed by one person, Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama was part of that group. Analyzing this incident in depth from different historical sources, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes, the mischief-making and instigation of the Jewish chieftains resulted in the dangerous conflict of the Battle of Ahzab against the Muslims in 5 Hijri. Among them, Huay bin Akhtab had already met his end along with the Banu Qurayza. However, Salam bin Abil Huqayq, whose appellation was Abu Rafir, was still engaged freely in his mischief-making as before, in the region of Khaybar. Rather, the humiliating failure of Ahzab and the terrible end of the Banu Qurayza had only further increased his animosity. Since the settlement of the tribes of Ghathfan was situated near Khaybar, and the Jews of Khaybar were as if neighbours to the tribes of Najd, for this reason, Abu Rafi, who was a very affluent and influential merchant, had made it a custom to incite the barbaric and warmongering tribes of Najd against the Muslims. In his animosity towards the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he was the like of Ka'ab bin Ashraf. As such, during that era which we are mentioning now, he had given the Ghatfani people very significant financial aid in order to launch an assault against the Holy Prophet ﷺ. Furthermore, it is proven by history that the Jews of Khaybar who were creating disorder in watch of Abu Rafi were also behind the threat which emerged against the Muslims by the Banu Sa'd in the month of Shaban, for the defence of which an army was sent from Medina under the leadership of Hazrat Ali. However, Abu Rafi did not suffice with this, and his enmity was thirsty for Muslim blood, and the person of the Holy Prophet was a thorn in his eye. Therefore, ultimately, the plan which he employed was that in the likeness of the Battle of Ahzab, he once again began to tour the Ghatfan tribes and other tribes and began to gather a grand army to destroy the Muslims. When the state of affairs reached this extent and the scenes of Ahzab once again began to appear before the eyes of the Muslims, a few Ansar from the Khazraj presented themselves before the Holy Prophet and said, now the solution to this turmoil is nothing but to put an end to the mastermind of this unrest. Considering the fact that the elimination of a single mischief maker and a seditious person was more preferable than mass bloodshed throughout the land, the Holy Prophet ﷺ granted permission to these companions. He sent four companions from the Khazraj tribe under the leadership of Abdullah bin Atiq Ansari towards Abu Rafi. However, as he sent them, he emphasized, Look here, do not at all kill any woman or child. Therefore, in the month of Ramadan, 6 Hijri, this party set off and returned after very skillfully completing its mission. 
In this manner, these clouds of calamity dispersed from the sky of Medina. The details of this account, as mentioned in Bukhari, have been recorded as such. Bara bin Azib narrates that the Holy Prophet ﷺ sent a party of his companions to kill Abu Rafiq, the Jew, and appointed Abdullah bin Atiq as their leader. The story of Abu Rafiq is that he would inflict great grief on the Holy Prophet ﷺ and would incite and help people against the Holy Prophet ﷺ. When Abdullah bin Atiq and his companions reached near the castle of Abu Rafi and the sun had set, Abdullah bin Atiq left his companions behind and proceeded to the gate of the castle. He covered himself with his mantle and sat down as if answering the call of nature. When the gatekeeper approached the entrance of the castle, he called out to Abdullah bin Atiq and said, O ye, enter if you wish for I am about to close the gate. Still covered in his mantle, Abdullah bin Atiq quickly entered the gate and hid to one side of the castle. The gatekeeper closed the gate, hung the key on a nearby peg and left. After this, the narration of Abdullah bin Atiq himself begins. He says, First and foremost, I got up and opened the lock of the gate so that a swift and easy exit was possible if needed. At the time, Abu Rafi was in a room of his and many people were seated around him in a night assembly talking to each other. When these people dispersed and it became silent, I climbed the stairs to the home of Abu Rafi. I was careful that whenever I came to a door, I would enter it and close it from behind. When I reached the room of Abu Rafi, he had put out the lantern and was preparing to fall asleep. The room was pitch dark. I called out the name of Abu Rafi, which he responded, Who is there? So I sprung towards the source of the voice and made a single and powerful strike of the sword. However, it was very dark and due to my perplexity, I missed him. Abu Rafi cried out, upon which I left the room. After some time, I entered the room again and changing my voice inquired, O Abu Rafi, what is this noise? He could not recognize my changed voice and said, May your mother forsake you. Someone has just now attacked me with a sword. Upon hearing this voice, I sprung towards him again and struck him with the sword. This time my strike was on point, but he was still not dead, upon which I attacked him a third time and killed him. After this, I quickly opened the doors one by one till I reached outside of the home. However, when I was descending the stairs, there were still a few steps left, and I thought I had reached the ground due to which I fell down and broke my leg. And in another narration, it is mentioned that the leg was dislocated. However, I tied it with my turban and dragged myself out. But I said to myself, that until I am fully satisfied that Abu Rafi is dead, I shall not leave. Therefore, I hid in a place near the castle. The next morning, I heard the voice of someone from inside the castle saying, Abu Rafi, the merchant of Hijaz, has died. Thereupon, I got up and slowly but gradually met with my companions. Upon arriving in Medina, 
we informed the Holy Prophet ﷺ of the death of Abu Rafi. Upon listening to the entire account, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, Stretch out your broken leg. I stretched out my leg, and the Holy Prophet ﷺ rubbed his blessed hand upon it while praying, and I felt as if I'd never had any ailment whatsoever. In another narration, it is mentioned that when Abdullah bin Atiq attacked Abu Rafi, his wife began to scream loudly, upon which he became worried that others might be alerted by her noise and clamour. Upon this, he raised his sword to kill her. But then he remembered that the Holy Prophet ﷺ had prohibited the killing of women, and therefore he refrained from doing this. It is further written in Sir Khatam and Nabiyin. At this point, we need not enter a discussion on the justification of killing Abu Rafi. The bloodthirsty undertakings of Abu Rafi are an open page of history. Furthermore, an elaborate exposition has been written on a similar instance with relevance to Kaab bin Ashraf. During that era, the Muslims were in a very weak state, surrounding by adversity from all directions. It was as if the entire land was uniting to annihilate the Muslims. In these delicate times, Abu Rafi was inciting the various tribes of Arabia against Islam. I am mentioning a summary of why the killing was permissible and not relating the entire account. Also in the likeness of the Ghazwai Ahzab, he was preparing to unite the barbaric tribes of Arabia to again launch an assault against Medina. During that era, there was no government in Arabia whereby justice could be administered. Instead, every tribe was free and independent. Therefore, there was no other option other than to employ a strategy for self-protection. In the previous sermon, the details regarding this were mentioned, in that there was no government in place, but in fact, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was the leader. In these circumstances, whatever the companions did was absolutely correct and prudent. Moreover, in a state of war, when a nation is passing through life or death, strategies of this kind are completely permissible. During the Caliphate of Hazrat Umar Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama was appointed to collect the zakat from the Juhayna tribe. Whenever a complaint was received by the Khalifa against a collector, Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama would be sent to investigate the matter. Hazrat Umar trusted Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama greatly and thus would send him for official collections. Hazrat Umar would also send him to various areas to resolve difficult matters. When Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas built a fort in Kufa, Hazrat Umar sent Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama to investigate. With regards to this incident, the narration is as follows. Hazrat Umar learnt that Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas had built a large fort and also a large door which did not allow sound to reach inside. Hence, Hazrat Umar sent Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama to investigate. It was the will of Hazrat Umar that whenever he desired to send someone for official work, he would send Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama. 
Hazrat Umar instructed Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama that when he reached Saad's fort, he ought to burn the door. When he reached Kufa, he went to the door and using flint to light it, he set fire to door. Hazrat Saad learnt of this and came outside. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama then explained to him the reason why he set fire to the door. After the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman anhu, it is said that Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama lived in seclusion and made a sword out of wood. Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama would say, The Holy Prophet gave me a sword as a gift and told me to use it to fight the idolaters until the time they fought against us. The Holy Prophet ﷺ then said to me, When you see that the Muslims begin to kill one another, then climb onto a hill and strike the sword with it, i.e. so that the sword breaks. Then remain in your home until one of those wrongdoers attacks you as well, or until death overtakes you. Thus, Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama acted according to these instructions and did not take part in the Battle of Jamal nor in the Battle of Safin. Zubair bin Hussain Thalbi relates, we were sad with Hazrat Huzaifa when he told us, I know a person who is not affected at all by any mischief. We asked, Who is this person? Hazrat Huzaifa then said, He is Hazrat Muhammad bin Muslama Ansari. Then when Hazrat Huzaifa passed away and the discord became rampant, I departed along with those who were leaving Medina and I reached a place where there was water there was water available in that particular place. Therein I saw a broken tent which was tilted to one side and was swaying owing to the gusts of wind. I asked, Whose tent is this? The people told me that this is the tent of Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama. I went to him and found that he was advanced in age. I said to him, May Allah have mercy on you. In my opinion, you are among the best of the Muslims. You have left your town, your home, your family and your neighbours. He replied, I have left all of this behind due to my aversion to evil. There are differing views with regards to the time of the demise of Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama. According to the accounts, he passed away in Medina in 43 Hijri, 46 Hijri or 47 Hijri and at the time of his demise, he was 77 years old. Marwan bin Hakam led his funeral prayer who was the emir of Medina at the time. It is also mentioned in some accounts that he was martyred. This concludes the accounts relating to Hazrat Muhammad bin Aslama. After the Friday prayers, I shall lead the funeral prayer of respected Tajdeen Sahib, son of Sadardeen Sahib. He passed away on 10th February at the age of 84, verily to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, He was a Musi. Taizdin Sai was born in Uganda and moved to the UK in 1967. When Islamabad was bought in 1984, he offered his services to Hazrat Khalif the Masih IV for Islamabad. Thereafter, he continued to serve with utmost sincerity and selflessness in Islamabad for 22 years. 
He worked tirelessly ever since the first Jalsa Salana in Islamabad was held, up until the very last one was held there, and made every possible effort to provide comfort and ease for the guests of the Promise of Sayyid He possessed the ability to do all sorts of technical work, which is why he spent day and night working in all kinds of tasks, including electrical work, plumbing, sanitation and woodwork, etc. He was very regular in observing fasts and offering his prayers. He was very devout, extremely well-mannered, obedient and had a composed personality. He had a deep bond of sincerity and loyalty with Khalafat. His grandson, Mudabardin Sahib, who is a missionary and graduate of Jamia Ahmadiyya UK and is currently working in MTA, writes, Many of the people who lived in Islamabad would say that he was extremely hard-working. My grandfather would say that he was alone when he first came to Islamabad. At the beginning, there was neither electricity nor heating, and it was a very difficult time. But even then, he was pleased to have the opportunity to make sacrifices for the Jamaat and the Khalifa. Some of his notable characteristics were offering prayers on time, working self-sufficiently, and his hospitality of guests and his patience. Those who have written to me have mentioned many of his qualities. Majid Sialkoti Sahib has written, He built his own workshop here in Islamabad and was an expert in machines. He had good relations with different companies and worked on the barracks one by one to make them suitable to live in. He had the art of forming a team. He remained busy working throughout the year. Owing to the fact that the buildings were very old, it was an odious task to refurbish it all, and he did so with great diligence. He was always courteous and cheerful and would always request for prayers. He lived in Islamabad the entire time in a small room and worked tirelessly. Despite his wife and children living in London, he continued to work selflessly. He would occasionally go to visit them. May Allah the Almighty grant him forgiveness and mercy and enable his progeny to excel in sincerity and loyalty as he did. And may God Almighty grant them patience and steadfastness. Alhamdulillah, 
ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله ونشهد ان محمدا